From the beginnings of civilization, humans have always looked up to the heavens in wonder. Sightings of stars and planets, comets and eclipses are awe-inspiring and help us to try and understand our place in the cosmos. Technological advances made just over the last few decades with larger and more powerful equipment mean that we can now probe much deeper into the unknown universe of countless galaxies, planets and stars to understand its origin and growth. We know about pulsars, quasars, dark matter and black holes that all exist together within the vast infinity of space. You can imagine the medievals looking up into space, and with little scientific understanding and no explanations, we can understand why one might attribute it to God. In today's episode, we're going to have a look at what medieval people thought about space. Welcome to Medieval Madness. The Science of God Faith and science were intertwined during the Middle Ages. Both the sciences and the humanities were studied in the universities. There were seven liberal arts, grammar, rhetoric, music, geography, logic, arithmetic, and astronomy, which being the study of the planets and other cosmological phenomena was the basis for astrology. The latter tried to connect any celestial happenings with events and human concerns here on Earth. In the Middle Ages, almost everyone believed that what happened up in the stars affected their daily lives. Of course, for the medievals, the world and everything in the universe was created by God, and in that way, miracles could and did happen. But people didn't just rely on miracles. Along with their prayers and visits to churches and cathedrals, they also put some faith in medicine and visited healers. It wasn't a one or the other type of thing, science and God went together because God was responsible for everything in creation. Much of what motivated the medievals was the idea of becoming closer to God. Whether that was by reading the holy scriptures or by looking at nature and seeing this as evidence of his plan and existence. Astrolabes and Quadrants the use of expensive astronomical instruments was only accessible to anyone with some form of learning. For timekeeping, there were sundials and for travellers, compass dials and navicular, which also measured latitude. Students at university were taught how to use tools such as astrolabes and quadrants to keep track of the skies and forecast the position of the stars and planets. Physicians were also taught how to use these instruments to create horoscopes for their patients. From the 11th century, with the establishment of universities, the curriculum included a better appreciation of astronomy and its instruments. Of course, the use of these tools meant that their users were raised in status as being knowledgeable and creative. In the Treaty on an Astrolabe, which was written in 1391 by the poet and author Geoffrey Chaucer, most famous for the Canterbury Tales, Chaucer gives an astrolabe to his 10-year-old son as he is sent off to university describing in detail how to use the instrument. Chaucer wrote the treatise in Middle English though, rather than Latin, in the hope of introducing that type of learning to a much wider audience. The instruments provided at Merton College Library in Cambridge were even more expensive than the books. Of the two listed as being there, one cost the university 10 shillings, and the other a hefty 13 shillings and 4 pence. There is evidence that they were borrowed in the same way as books, to be brought back, shelved, and then lent out again. There wasn't even any need for someone to go outside and use an astrolabe, calculations for the location of the sun and stars, and the rising and setting of the planets could all be completed indoors. 
They also had the added bonus of being able to help in the study of geometry as well as astronomy. The quadrant was used to measure astronomical altitudes, and there were several types. Its invention meant that the altitude of the sun could be measured without having to stare directly at it. The rise in status of a knowledgeable student meant that they could go on to have reputable employment too. Graduates could continue their work at a monastery, or even find a patron and work at the royal court, possibly becoming a respected inventor or astronomer. During the 14th century, Merton College was one of the most renowned places for astrological research in Western Europe. Teaching focused on calendar reform, plague medicine, astrological instruments, and the understanding of events such as eclipses and conjunctions. As well as universities, monasteries were great places for learning about the universe. By excluding themselves from all outside distractions and concentrating on a mix of holy scripture and the studying of God's creation, medieval monks often found themselves at the cutting edge of scientific discoveries. Astronomical tools were used to determine when Easter and other festivals should be held. Following the seven canonical hours of prayer was also made easier with instruments. By the middle of the 14th century, the Pope declared that every Benedictine monastery had to send at least one monk out of every 20 to university to study theology and canon law. There would also be opportunities to engage in mathematics and astronomy whilst there. Inspired by his time at Oxford University, the 14th century Benedictine monk Richard of Wallingford invented a huge astronomical clock called the Machina Mundi, as well as two other cosmological instruments. One being called the Albion, which found the position of the planets, and the other the Rectangulus, that calculated spherical trigonometry. Another clerical scientist was the 14th century monk John of Westwick, who wrote an instruction manual for a planetary equatorium. This was an instrument that calculated the exact positions of the moon, sun, and planets, without the use of complicated mathematical procedures. For some medievals, the universe was a logically organised structure. It was arranged within seven parallel, translucent layers. Each one of the planets moved in a perfect circular orbit within its own sphere. The Sun and the Moon were believed to be planets, along with Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, Venus, and Mercury. They were the only objects that could be seen in the heavens with the naked eye. All the fixed stars were contained within the eighth sphere, and they were all positioned at exactly the same distance away from Earth. Above that layer was obviously heaven, where God lived with his angels and all the righteous souls who existed in human form. There they waited for the apocalypse at the end of days. At this time, the last judgement would occur, and those who were deemed worthy by God would be saved and join them. The undeserving would be sent into the burning fires of hell with Satan for all eternity, the saved would live with God in heaven in everlasting peace. Most medieval scholars followed the teachings of Greek and Roman philosophers, such as Archimedes and Eratosthenes, who was able to work out the circumference of the Earth with great accuracy. Taking their ideas, the medievals studied and refined them. This meant that for them, the Earth was always at the centre of the universe, and everything else rotated around it. The whole system was controlled by the Prime Mover, or Outermost Sphere, which was set into motion by God. These Greek theories were widely used throughout Europe and the Middle East until the 16th century. The idea that everyone in the Middle Ages thought that the Earth was flat is false. Even the Church supported the work of philosophers like Eratosthenes. So it wasn't Columbus who convinced them that the Earth was round. Actually, he thought the Earth was much smaller than Aristosthenes had calculated, and the Church tried to convince him otherwise. Astrometeorology 
A story was told by the monk of Saint-Denis. It was during the reign of Charles V of France when the court astrologers were consulted for every little thing. A duel was due to take place and one of the participants was eager to give himself the advantage. It was advised that he had his armor and weapons made at a specific time so that they would gain the best possible benefits from planetary influence. The duelist was also told to expect particularly fair weather on the date of the contest and that he would be victorious. The monk was more than a little smug to report that there was actually torrential rain on the day of the sword fight and the king was able to stop the disagreement from going any further. Herman of Carinthia, an important translator of 12th century Arabic astronomical works, wrote a book called Liber Imbrium that was specifically about precipitation. At the beginning he says, quote, For when the sun is in the southern hemisphere and Venus is under its rays, and the moon is in application to it, all of these things presage the coming of torrential rainfall on the same day and in the very same hour. The 13th century bishop and scientist Robert Greathead, although known for having a role in the development of the scientific method, also believed that predicting the weather was a simple process using this method. It would seem that this form of weather forecasting was quite popular too, as instruments of astronomy weren't the only things changing hands for large sums of money. In 1403, one astrometeorological manuscript sold for the equivalent of 520 litres of barley, which at the time was enough to feed a family of four for a year. Illness If the planets were so obviously affecting the weather, as the medievals believed, then it made sense to them that they could also affect the people and cause an imbalance of the humours, leading to illness or a downturn in mood. Only royal physicians were able to access expensive astrolabe, so the more everyday doctor was likely to consult an almanac instead. Between 12 and 20 pages in length, these little booklets were quite common in the later Middle Ages in England. They contained calendars of lunar eclipses and solar eclipses, lunar tables and drawings of urine containers, vein man and zodiac man. The vein man diagram showed the location of, you guessed it, the veins and arteries of the body whilst the signs of the Zodiac, which were thought to have influence over a person, were labelled on Zodiac Man. Every Zodiac sign represented a part of the body, whether it was inside or out. Many seem quite random, such as Gemini influencing the arms and nervous systems, and Libra covering the skin, kidneys, and buttocks. The almanac would be carried around and consulted by the physician, who had to look to the heavens when diagnosing a patient. Looking at the patient's date and time of birth and working out where the stars and planets were now in comparison to where they were then or finding the constellation that the moon was in when the patient had their first symptoms would help with a diagnosis. Most physicians would have some degree of learning of astrology in order to treat the sick. During the 14th and 15th centuries, it became a fundamental part of the study of medicine in the universities of Italy. It would seem that despite popular opinion, the medievals were thirsty for knowledge about the universe around them, but even the most learned men of the time did get some things completely wrong. Thank you for watching this episode of Medieval Madness. Please do subscribe and leave a comment below if you've got any other topics you want us to cover. Cheers, and I'll see you next week.